Good evening. My name is Greg. Welcome to Christ Community Church. And if we have not met, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm filling in for Daryl, who's with family in Oklahoma and taking some R&R and spending some time with his grandkids. If you are here for the first time or maybe you've been only coming three or four more times, we want to get to know you. And we want you to get to know us. And one of the ways you can help us do that is simply fill out a connection card. And there's two ways you can do that. If you're online, you just look somewhere on the page and you're going to see connection card. Push that button. It'll take you right there. You can fill out. And when you push the end of that, uh, it'll send it right to us. Or if you're here, if you look at the, one of the backs uh, of the seats in front of you, you see a QR code. And if you take a picture of that, boom, shiga, and it's going to come right back uh, to you and you can fill it out. Uh, during the message, because it's probably no good, and um, you'll be all set. And if uh, you want, the best way you could do it is stop at the welcome desk, and there's a lovely lady back there, uh, and she would love to serve you, and uh, she can help you fill out the card. And we're really glad that you've joined us. Um, I just want you to know I'm sore today. I'm really sore, and here's, here's, the, here's the truth. It's been a long time since I've preached, so I'm very nervous, um, but Last November, some of you knew we had some straight line winds come through in November, and it took down an 80-foot tree on our property, and it clipped the garage. It was supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be cut down that very day, and then we had rain, and then we had the winds, and it went the wrong way, and did some damage, nothing big, but it, it, it was a mess. And while they were there, sergeants came and cleaned it up for me. I was talking to Jay, and he said, we need to take those other four trees right there out at the same time, because every one of those, if that wind and they're old, they're ash borers, and they're, they're rotted, they can hit your deck and probably your house. So I took four. Then I had another friend come by, and he took three. And then we had another two get wind damage. And so I had wood everywhere. And so I wanted to get rid of that wood and get the property cleaned up a little bit, and um, I wanted to do it before the snow flies, and I've been pushing really hard, and my back has been killing me. In fact, my wife said so lovingly to me yesterday, you walk like an 80-year-old man, and I added it up, and I'm headed that way uh, uh, in earnest, um, but here's the deal. She wanted to prove the point, so this is a picture she said she got of me when I got out of bed here a couple days ago. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Felt really good. It was just a lovely. You saw Daryl with his sorority sisters here last week, and this is one of my uh, picks. Um, so I want to I want to share with you um, something that's kind of dear to my heart. And it, if you know me, you'll understand once we get into the text um, what we're going to be talking about today. But a few years ago, Yvonne and I we took a detour in our ministry life, and. This meant that we were going to leave a big church with a big budget that took really good care of their staff, and, um, and we liked the place. It was a nice place, but it was also a place that was stuck, and it was a place that could, you could get lulled to sleep, and we were looking for something different, so we set out on an adventure in church planting, and um, we had no idea of where we would end up, where that would lead us. We didn't know what we had got signed up for, but we were ready for some change. And we just longed for something different, something fresh. And we did that for 10 years. The greatest joy in that was the privilege of working with some wonderful people, many of whom became lifelong friends and still are. But we wanted to do something different. We wanted a church that was launched, believe it or not, 
for people who had never been to church. We didn't know what that would look like, but we knew that lost people probably were looking for something if they were empty, something authentic and something that was real. And it was a great journey for us. It was hard, it wasn't easy, but we enjoyed it. And God brought us all kinds of people with all kinds of stories and all kinds of issues. Um, and that led to lots of conversations. But we had a lot of sayings that we used in our church and one of them was this. We give people grace, space, and time, believing that in due time, God will do only what he can do, which is making himself known and changing lives. We'd been in the church, I don't know how many months, and a young woman came up to me after a service and she said to me, she goes, um, would you be willing to meet with me for a cup of coffee? <clears throat> I like coffee and we had a lot of great places there in our town that we could meet at, and so we met there um, a few days later, and we exchanged pleasantries, names, a little bit about personal history and who we were. And she told me that she'd been coming to the church for some time, uh, she'd been laying low, um, and I didn't understand why, but she goes, I wanted to see if this was a good place, I wanted to see if it was a safe place for me. She had a long sip of coffee, paused for a second, and then took off 100 miles an hour and shared her entire life story with me. And to be honest, it was overwhelming. This gal had been through a lot. Her life had been full of pain and disappointment. She said even as a little child, she never felt safe, she never felt valued, she never felt loved, not even by her parents. Her parents were dysfunctional and addicts. There was a lot of brokenness and loneliness lots of heartache and heartbreak in her life. And she paused, and then she said this, and then, Greg, God changed my life. And that caught me, if you would have heard all the stuff, she goes, and then God changed my life. And I wanted to know what that meant to her. So I asked her this, I said, tell me how you found Jesus, because I wanted to know. And she started to respond, well, I came to Jesus, and then in mid-sentence, she stops. She stops. She catches herself, and right then and there, she has this, what must have been an epiphany, and a ha-ha moment, and she starts laughing, and she shakes her head. And she goes, no, no, that, that's not true. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. I'm gonna pray here in a moment, and before I do, I want you to take a few minutes to look at that phrase on the screen. And I want you to take and read those to yourself, in your mind. And I want you to let them soak in, because if you know Jesus, you know that that is true. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that's true. And if you know Christ, it's your story, it's my story too. And that's what this is, me too. So I'm gonna give us about 30 seconds to pray. And it's gonna be quiet. Because I want you just to focus on what those words mean to you. So let's pray.
Father, I love that phrase. I didn't find you, you found me. It's my prayer that when all said and done, that we will embrace that in a new way, in a way that results in deep gratitude for who you are, for the fact that you chase us and pursue us, that you never give up on us, even when we give up on ourselves. And I pray that we'll see Thanksgiving in a different and unique way today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke. It's the third Gospel. And we're going to look at a very familiar story, one of the most familiar fun stories in the Bible. Um, and we don't find it in the, in the other three Gospels, only the Gospel of Luke. And it's particularly important for him, as you will see. Um, you will not find it, as I already said, in any other Gospels. But I tell you this, if you were raised in a church as a child and you were in Sunday school for any period of time at all, chances are you will certainly know this story. It's a wonderful story. And the story actually has this little ditty, this little song that's oftentimes tagged along with it. And if you haven't sung this tune in a long, long time or even thought of it, I, I bet you almost know every word of this song. And if you know the song, I'm gonna ask you to sing with me because then you won't hear me sing the song. But it goes something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Now, I want you to know, I've never preached on Zacchaeus. So give me a break. Okay, I just want you to know. But this is a really great story. And it's found in Luke chapter 19. I'm gonna to read to you the first 10 verses. We're only really gonna focus on the first five because this is the uh, first part and the second part sometime down the road. And this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus there. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But, there's always a but, it seems, in some of these stories, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Another translation says he's getting cozy with a criminal. Another translation version says this man has done a lot of bad things. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus, there's a break here. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And the 10th verse says, again, I want you to hear this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. As far as we're concerned in our discussion uh, today and what we're going to be talking about, it's simply this. This is why we got saved. Because God is a seeker and saver of those who are lost. It is the true nature of God to do so. From the fall in the garden, when the Lord came looking for Adam and Eve, and they were hiding from him, God said, where are you? And from that day to the present day, God continues this quest to seek and save those who are lost. It's imperative that we get this, that we understand it, that we embrace it. Romans 3.11 says this, there is no one righteous, righteous, not even one, there is no one who seeks God. In our sinful state, according to Romans 3, in our blindness, our fallenness, our ignorance, we cannot, we do not, we will not seek God. But the good news is, it's God who initiates the seeking. Jesus said in a verse that I just love that fell on me a long time ago, out of John 6, it says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We've called this, and I've shared this many times, it's the divine initiative. It simply means this, God took the initiative and stepped towards us. He made the first move. He leans in, he extends his hand, he puts his hand on our shoulder, he moves in our heart, he whispers in our ear. I love this phrase, it's the kindness of God extended to us, grace, complete grace, while we are still dead in our sin. God comes our way. Again, the Lord is emphasizing, he is the seeker and savior of those who are lost. In the story of Zacchaeus, illustrates that in spades. In this story, when I was reading and looking at the story, I would close my eyes and time, sometimes think of myself and think of what it must have been like for Zacchaeus in this large city, in the sea of humanity, and he's around a lot of people. He is not liked. We'll find that out a little bit later in the story. And he is just ordinary and alone. Nameless. He's, he has no clue about what is about to come his way on that day. It was an ordinary day for him, but he was hoping to get a glimpse of this Jesus. And Zach, I'm gonna call him Zach once in a while, hope that's okay. He can't believe his luck. You know why? Because he just happens to be in Jericho that day. There's three cities that he goes between getting taxes from the people. But that day he's in Jericho, and then he hears word, hears wind, that Jesus is also in Jericho. And he's heard about Jesus. Everybody's heard about Jesus. And he thought, what luck that I get to see this Jesus fella. And unbeknownst to Zacchaeus, it's not luck at all. It's a divine encounter with the living God. Zach thinks he's going to see Jesus when in fact Jesus is coming to see Zach. And that's the part of the story that sometimes we forget that we lose. Jesus spots him sitting in that tree and says, Zacchaeus. I love that. Come down quickly, I need to stay at your house. And again, this is God seeking sinners, not in some general and vague way, but seeking sinners in a very personal, profound way, a very specific way. 
And that's why verse 10 is so important. One pastor, John MacArthur Jr., if you know who that is, said this is the most important truth in all of Scripture. The truth that God seeks and saves otherwise those who are condemned. In Matthew chapter 1, 21, there are two stories of the Christmas story. One in Matthew, the other in Luke. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said these words. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. At his very birth, it's stated, this is why he came. Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. And here in Luke 19, you need to understand there's a lot of things happening in this little road trip. This thing that's hanging in the balance is people think that Jesus might be the Messiah. Some think that he is crazy and needs to be put away. And if this was a guy going out and he's in politics and he was running for office, he would be very careful to present himself in such a way to gain votes, to be heard, to get his way, but that's not Jesus. So in Luke 19, he's actually going, he's on his, if you preach, he's the Green Mile, if you've ever seen the movie Green Mile. He's, he's, what is he doing? He is a dead man walking, why? Because he's going from Jericho, Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, what waits from there is the cross. And yet here he is, he's dead man walking, here he is, at the end of his ministry, is that this is also the exclamation point of his itinerant ministry, and Jesus reiterates the reason that he came. From the announcement at his birth that he would forgive the people and save them from their sins, to now at the end of the life, again, he's fulfilling that purpose. He's come to save lost sinners. And no writer, by the way, in the New Testament expresses this point more strongly than Luke. In fact, Luke is my favorite book of the Bible, and some of you know my favorite chapter of Luke is Luke 15. And Luke's marvelous and unique emphasis is found in Luke 15, the, my favorite chapter in all scripture, where God likens himself as a shepherd seeking a lost sheep, as a woman seeking a lost coin, as a father seeking his lost son. In the first parable, this is what it says, Jesus speaking, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? This is God the shepherd who goes after a lost sheep. Why? Because he's out in the wilderness. That means he's, there's predators and he is prey. He's a meal, okay? And so the shepherd leaves the 99 to seek the one is lost. And this is what it says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, comes home, calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which has been lost, which is very unique, that the, the stained glass window behind me, that's a picture of that. And then Jesus says this, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need not repent. The joy of God and the joy of heaven is in the recovery of lost sinners. 
That's the whole point of the story. Then there's the second parable. God is likened to a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one. And so she lit a lamp and she swept the house and she searched diligently until she found it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me. I found the coin which I had lost. And the parable ends again saying, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why? Because this is God the seeker, looking, searching diligently, finding the lost, bringing them home. And when they're home, all of heaven celebrate. And then there's one more story, one more parable, the most beloved of them all, the prodigal son. And it says this, the son, the son was heading back home. He lost the, all the money he was given, half the estate. He's got no sandals on his feet. His clothes are dirty, he's hungry, he's going home because that's the only chance he has to survive. This is life and death, but he doesn't know what's gonna happen when he gets home. He doesn't know if his dad will turn his back on him or welcome him maybe maybe as, as a slave. But verse 20, great verse, says while he's still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran, embraced him, and kissed him. This God that we serve, this Jesus who came, is, is the seeking shepherd, the seeking woman, and the seeking father. God seeks to save the lost for his own joy. He finds deep satisfaction in the recovery of lost sinners. Isaiah 62, five says this, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Did you, did you hear that phrase? God rejoices over you. God delights in you. There are some of you, I know for a fact, there are people here today who do not believe that because they don't love themselves. And love has been hard, and maybe they failed, and maybe they've fallen, or things didn't go their way, and their dreams are over, and they don't know what's gonna be happening down the road. And they feel empty, alone, broken, and yeah, I want you to understand that God, when you come to Christ, God delights in you. You are his prize, his pride, and his joy. God delights in you. Now, again, no, no, none of us are gonna go seek after God unless God seeks us. In fact, John said in his uh, book, he said this, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. He stepped towards us. And that's what happens in the story of Zacchaeus. Luke is telling us the story of Zacchaeus, but I think we all understand this is really a story about God, about his heart, about his nature. It's really the story of the purpose of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We are told Zacchaeus was a chief tax gatherer and he was rich. Jericho was a city full of many tax collectors. He was top dog. And at this point, by the way, in the Luke narrative, this is the sixth tax collector in his, that we've met if you read from the first to the last chapter of the book. And all those interactions, by the way, with the previous six were all very favorable. Jesus doesn't take a negative uh, attitude towards tax collectors, even though that's not how it operates in his culture. 
See, if you became a tax collector, this is how it had to be done. Number one, you had to know a lot of people. The Romans didn't know the Jews. They were secondary and not even really a citizen unless they, they got that, uh, either in birth or by purchasing it. But the bottom line is they needed somebody in the know who would know family trees and how that worked and could scratch and get all the money that was due for Rome. And if you were going to buy a tax franchise, you had to do so from Rome. And once you did that, you were instantly labeled a sinner, traitor, and turncoat. You sold your soul to Rome, and at the same time, you sold out your own people for financial gain. And that was not missed on their culture. There was a given amount due for taxes, and they would surely collect that. But the thing was, if you were a tax gatherer, you could add anything to that. There was no written rule. A lot of these people who got taxed didn't even know what they were getting taxed for. So tax collectors became filthy rich. And that's why they were despised and hated. There was a cost to this job. Many times they were written off by their family as a traitor. They couldn't attend the synagogue. They were considered unclean. And because of that, relationships were extremely limited. There was a pool of people available to them, and they were kind of considered to be scum-sucking bottom dwellers. There were other criminals as well. There's criminals, misfits, outcasts, the poor, the sick, and then sinners and tax collectors. And all of those people were on the periphery of society, banned. In fact, the crazy thing is, if you didn't know this, go back and read the Gospels. Jesus spent so much time with those kinds of people that he was oftentimes called a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. And Zacchaeus was not only one of those, he was the poster child for them. He was public enemy number one. As commissioner of the taxes, that meant that he stood on this pyramids, he stood on the top of the pyramid. And anyone, I went to the pyramid scheme, and anybody and everybody who collected anything on behalf of Rome had to divvy up and put some of that in Zacchaeus's pocket. So he's been bagged and tagged off limits, not allowed, and he's out on the outside, and it's a death penalty. And life would have been pretty tragic for him, a pocket full of money and nobody to share it with. Verse three tells us that Zach had heard about Jesus, and who hadn't? Jesus had been front, front uh, center stage, he'd been um, front page news, he had heard most definitely of the, the talk and the chatter about him giving sight to the blind and healing the sick and even raising people from the dead. So Zach wanted to see this Jesus himself. But I think there's a whole lot more going on here than just mere curiosity. Could it be that his wallet was full but his heart was empty? I think Zach was honest with Zach maybe with nobody else, but with himself. He knew the kind of man he had become. He knew the choices that he had made. He knew, his, he knew the wrong that he'd done. But I don't think he knew any way out, no. And I don't know exactly what was going on in his heart, but my guess is the Holy Spirit was in the right place at the right time. 
making sure that this Zach would get to meet Jesus. Now, Jesus had two problems. Big crowd, small man. Couldn't see over, couldn't see around. I happened to come across a song just before I came out. It came out in 1977, my year I graduated from high school. And this is a really special song, especially if you're small. Short people got no reason, short people got no reason, short people got no reason to live. They got little baby legs and they stand so low, you gotta pick them up just to say hello. They got little cars that go beep, beep, beep. They got little voices that go beep, beep, beep. If you know that song, it's pretty fun. But he was determined. Now I want you to know, as a rule, tax collectors laid low themselves. They wouldn't put themselves in harm's way. They were hated. They wouldn't expose themselves to abuse, criticism, or ridicule, let alone if they were in a dark alley receiving personal harm or injury. But again, Zach's rolling the dice. It's more than that. It's God seeking Zacchaeus, drawing him to himself. So Zach knows the neighborhood, probably knocked on a few doors, took some taxes and then some for himself. He knew it well. He knew the path that Jesus would take, so he runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs up a sycamore tree. I don't want you to think it's one of those 70-foot, 80-foot trees that, that I had in my yard. He wouldn't have that climbing potential, but it's a, it's a low, but be high enough that he would still see over the crowd. And Zach has no idea the kind of day that he's about to have. And it's gonna shock him. It's gonna stun those who saw it happen. But in verse five, Jesus comes to the place. And I don't know how it went. I have no idea how, how Jesus pulled this off or did this, but I think he was just talking to the, his disciples or walking along, and he walks off the path right over the, the tree, and he looks up and he says, hey, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was floored. He was, he was floored. He was taken back. Probably took the, the breath right out of his lungs. He, how, how did he know my name? Make no mistake about it, the Son of Man knows exactly who he is seeking. Jesus knows my name. Again, it's personal. Jesus says, hurry and come down. It was an irresistible call because verse six says, he hurried and came down and received Jesus gladly. And then in this dialogue, Jesus says, today I must stay at your house. And again, the crowd was indignant. They began to grumble. But I want you also to understand, Jesus, Jesus isn't one to listen to the crowd. And he's not one to worry about public opinion polls. I believe that day, when he said, today I come to your house, you understand in that culture, that didn't just come over the house for some tea. That meant coming over for a dinner, and usually a celebrative dinner. That meant spending the night in the home and probably waking up to some kind of breakfast. That's a big deal, but it's a super big deal right now because this is Zacchaeus. 
And Zacchaeus had never had anyone good or decent even call him by name, let alone invite themselves to be his guest. And in that culture, if you invited somebody to your table, into your home, you know what that meant? You were giving them value. They mattered. They were significant. And that's exactly what happens here. And that's why the people are so indignant. Of all the people, of all the people, why would God choose him? I believe for the rest of that day, Zacchaeus, it was, it was up close and personal. Jesus goes to Zach's house because he seeks to save this lost man. Jesus is on a divine mission established by divine grace in the given divine timetable. So I'm almost done. <laughs> did, you, did you say all done? That is so awesome. <laughs> it's, thanks, it's Thanksgiving week. And I wanted, when I talked to Daryl, talking, would you be willing to do that? I said, yeah, but I, I, I want it to be about Thanksgiving week, but not Thanksgiving week. And there are two, different, two definitions in Webster's Dictionary for Thanksgiving. The first you know, we just celebrated it. A holiday marked by religious observances, a traditional meal including turkey, commemorating a harvest festival which was celebrated by the pilgrims in 1621 and it's held on the fourth Thursday of November. And I want you to know from my heart, I love that. I love being with family. We're with my daughter and her husband and their five children um, for a meal. My three sons couldn't get back because their twins are out in Seattle with their nine kids and my son with the other three grandkids is in Knoxville, but we had a great time with Rachel and Dusty and the kids, and I love sitting at the table with family, with my kids and their kids, so I like that Thanksgiving, but I like the second definition better, an expression of gratitude, especially to God, and I would add a deep expression of gratitude. See here, here's, here's what which I want you to get. When, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Thanksgiving and I was thinking about this, this line that this gal gave me over a cup of coffee. I didn't find Jesus, Jesus found me. That's what this means. Me too. I didn't find Jesus, Jesus found me. And because of that, I realized that God Somehow, for some reason, God had a plan for my life. When I was 15 years old, I put a gun in my mouth twice. Took it off safety, you only need one bullet. If you're any kind of shot at all. And I wanted to throw away the towel. At 15, I would have missed such a great life. And even when I walked away from taking my life as a sophomore, I was struggling to find meaning and purpose, anything that would make me want life and want to live. And one day, I had a, a conversation with this guy who told me that God had a wonderful plan for my life. And I went home and I got on my knees and said, God, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that means. 
I don't, I don't even know if what, that, what that means that I just signed up for, but God, I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna believe in you if you'll take me. And I've had a great life. So blessed. And what I want you to think about this Thanksgiving, the meal, the family, embrace that. But for some of you, this was a tough, this was a tough Thanksgiving. We have people in this auditorium who buried loved ones this year. We just buried a baby. 15, only lived 15 days outside the womb. A week ago Wednesday. Broke my heart. There's a lot of things I don't understand about life. I understand why some people live and some people die. I understand why some babies are healthy and some are not. I don't understand why the God of the universe would leave the 99 for me. And that's what I want you to be asking yourself. Am I really grateful and thankful for a God who pursued and came after me? Because I tell you what, it changed everything. It didn't, I still have issues. But I'm not alone. So what I'm gonna ask you simply is this. Can you say, me too. He is here. He is here for, a year, for you right now in this place, and he knows you by name. And he absolutely delights in you. And maybe you've never done that cross that line. So, okay, God, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to step into the circle. I'm with you. Will you take me? Done deal. and it changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who pursues us when we're not even looking for you. For a God who seeks us when we're all about self. For a God who not only gives us chance, first chance, but a second, third, and fourth, and continues to give chances because he believes in us and because we're, through faith, his child. And it's my prayer that maybe somebody here has never done that, that they'll take the time to say, okay, God, I'm all in, and I'm going to trust you. I'm handing it over. I'm letting you drive the car of my life. And help me to learn to live in a way that honors you for doing so. Thank you for being a God who seeks and saves us. In Christ's name. Amen. We ask you to stand. We're going to give you what's called a, a priestly blessing, just a really small blessing. Um, God gave this to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons, and he said, this is how you are to bless my people. He says this, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May he be gracious to you, show you his favor, and give you peace. If you're wanting some private prayer or time of prayer, There'll be people up here who would love to pray with you. Have a great week.